You're listening to The Razor's Edge, an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor, trader, short seller, and deep dive researcher for the last two decades plus, and me, Daniel Schwartzman, who's worked in investing media the last decade while managing my own stocks. We break down investing themes or ideas and speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. Reach us on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. You can subscribe to Akram's The Razor's Edge newsletter at the-razors-edge.ghost.io. The link is in Akram's Twitter profile. Here's our disclosure. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. We'll disclose any positions and any stocks discussed in the introduction to a given episode. This week's Razor's Edge picks up where last week's left off. Akram and I continue the conversation about the macro environment, about the whipsaw, whiplash action that we're seeing. We talk about retail stocks, which was where we tailed off right at the end of the last episode. We talk about tech stocks. We try to understand what's happening. Even though it's not our focus, we do talk a little bit about Twitter. But it's just a good, I think, general overview of where we are. I think the market is, as it's been for a while, in a really interesting place. And so that's what we talk about today. For disclosures, Akram is long, Roku, Zoom, and Twitter. I am on Twitter, VMware, and I believe Apple comes up as well. Let's get into it. Akram, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Can't complain. Enjoying the holiday weekend. A little time for some razor's edge in there. What I wanted to start off today with was... I, I was thinking a lot about our last round of conversations, uh, specifically your the argument around Zoom, which I thought was, uh, you know, has worked out and also reasonably compelling, like counterintuitive case because it came right as I, I, for example, wrote an article about how, okay, we're just about in the bear market, time to start, you know, obviously the time to brace was earlier, but like if you haven't, here's how to brace. And so I'm curious... In this market where things move so fast and where we seem to extrapolate ahead to the, the, the next quarter, it's going to be the future forever. Like, where do you think we are in terms of all, we've talked for so long about the COVID hangover and so on. Like, what's your take right now, just generally, and then we can kind of jump into some more specific stuff. Uh, I mean, I guess into the, whatever you want to call it, two weeks ago. Uh, but Thursday, Friday, you were kind of like fishing around. I mean, I, I did call out the Zoom quarter uh, with respect to everyone who was reporting in SaaS being more interesting than, like, I mean, for example, like a, a Snowflake or a Zscaler or a, let's call them the 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 still hyper growth bunch. Okay. The guys with momentum, uh, because those like those earnings calls have kind of just been moot since like when you 
when you're trading at 30 times sales and 35 times sales, like whatever you want to call it, the, te the tethering uh, to actual earnings reports. I mean, if you've spent a decent amount of time in the past, you know, trading earnings as people like to do, like you, you want to have a, almost a, a strong nexus between what a company says and then, you know, how the stock does trade for the next couple of days. And it's been pretty clear that's been broken, right? Like, it really hasn't been a surprise out of those names. I don't know. You can you can pretty much argue that like those names have still been skewed pretty positively on almost everything that they're, that they're saying that people have been anchored to to measure these stocks throughout a 60, 70, 80% decline. <laughs> right. So that that to me was like set that set that bunch of names aside. You have had names like DocuSign or, I mean, you know, the Pelotons of the world, et cetera, who have had reports that were negative, right? Like your traditional negative surprise, you, you take down our, our billings guide and uh, we point out that there was, we were a little bit surprised uh, by the pace of uh, growth slowing etc i mean in the case of the peloton it was uh, you know we were shocked or <laughs> we didn't we didn't we ran the business thinking covid covid goes on forever <laughs> but not but but not thinking that we were running the business that way uh <laughs> but uh zoom i think was in like the category of like Every like that management team really hasn't had the luxury uh, of being too overly optimistic. So I guess you could say that they've had a a decent level of uh, like I mean, imagine them coming out and being like, "Oh, you know, we're going to grow forty percent," and they ended up doing ten, right? <laughs> uh, and people would just be like, "Okay, these idiots." They missed the whole pandemic. <laughs> like they should have expected a slowdown. So like Zoom's been interesting in the sense that it it's kind of had its own soft landing, right? Like for the last three quarters, you've it's been decelerating, notably. Uh they've been kind of guiding you in that direction. They haven't really given you any surprises on an earnings call. And the stock, you know, has gone from 400 to, I guess it was as low as the mid eighties two weeks ago without much really changing. Right. So it was kind of set up interestingly to see like, can you reconnect uh, an earnings report to like actual stock price performance? And I mean, it had gotten really cheap, right? So when you say really cheap, it was the most expensive stock in SaaS on an EV to sales basis right before COVID really. I mean, like, you know, a month or two before it started. And as of two weeks ago, when I looked at it, it was the cheapest on just an absolute, you know, EV to, to free cash flow basis.
so like you know that, that's basically a a swing in the pendulum you know from from one extreme to the next uh and i mean there's we've we've discussed the whole zoom phone thing and some things interesting going on but i thought it was a good uh a good proxy for the rest of the growth stocks i mean we actually kind of had a little bit before that i wouldn't say in the same category but like the fintechs you know the day upstart reported and drop 50% or whatever it was 45 and you know after it's already huge massive drop off of its uh, very bubbly high and the next day i mean a firm went down in sympathy and then the day after a firm reported and it dropped again right and then those things kind of did like a hard u turn so like where you were trading at the day after upstart reported was like very washout liquidation so i mean not that i was in either of those names uh or you know from a trading perspective was willing to pull the trigger but i mean i discussed it with the the other daniel who was I looking for some i appreciate that uh clarification this time <laughs> yeah and uh he, like when you say counterintuitive he was like you don't like any of these fintechs and i was like yeah but i mean if if I was as aggressive of a trader as you, uh, you know, that would probably be a place to go. I don't want to call it necessarily a dash for trash, right? But I'd say a, a bit of a, like, when you see what looks like utter total liquidation in, in, in names, which is what it looked like those two days, right? You do think that there's very potential strong upside in, in the short term on just like a on a stabilization right because clearly there's just like this overwhelming selling pressure that looks like it's peaked and you're like you can't get more selling pressure than that and like once you take that off the stocks kind of you know snap back uh and maybe snap back in, in a manner that you know even overshoots and in, in the other direction and that's the idea, right? Typically with a bear market rally. But like as that was happening, and then there was like two reports that week uh, before Zoom that to me kind of, I don't remember which ones they were, but like they just kind of look kind of stable, you know, like not much going on either way. So like that put Zoom kind of on the radar for me because... You you've essentially have a setup where like an inline quarter looks really good, right? I mean, consensus has been coming down and it's been being discounted. So like that was kind of the thinking, right? Like you're kind of fishing for, and by the way, the way that stock traded once it reported uh, was very reflective of what I was looking for. Like it instantaneously gapped right? 13%. And when I say instantaneously, there's been like, you know, Twilio two quarters ago was at one point up almost 30% after hours on what I thought was a very bad report. I mean, I actually shorted it uh, after hours, but like the first five minutes of trading was very sideways, right? So there wasn't like, like it reported really wasn't doing much and then it got going. So 
you didn't have this kind of knee-jerk algorithmic, uh, you know, the ask moved instantaneously, right? And I thought like, if you're looking at stocks like this, particularly when you're looking at earnings reaction, like you want that thing where like you didn't get a chance to trade it anywhere <laughs> between uh, the gap initially. Now it ended up coming down. We got Snapchat and you actually could have bought it slightly, slightly in the red the next day, right? Uh, temporarily, which, you know, the volatility on that Tuesday was, was pretty insane. Um, but the report was clean, put it that way. I mean, it was a little bit like, it was nothing special. We weren't getting really get excited about anything. The, the implied performance of their online business was probably a little worse than I expected. And they blamed that on Europe and Ukraine or, or whatever, but notable profitability improvements, uh, particularly on the gross margin guidance. Uh, they took up earnings numbers. The whole focus was on earnings, which was also weird. Like as it was being covered, once it reported, the the media was all, you know, EPS beats and Zoom raises EPS guidance. And it's like, no one's talking about revenue. <laughs> but I mean, then again, like it's like we just said, like EV to free cash flow, cheapest name in the space, right? So, yeah, I mean, like that was kind of my thinking that Friday uh, and to be willing to buy the stock ahead of earnings. And yeah, great. It, it worked out. I mean, it's actually trading higher than that phase that I bought it in right after the previous earnings, right? Which is where I thought was like a starting point for, I mean, I think I fair valued it around 119. So I was willing to buy some, you know, what was it? It was like 108, 109. Just to forgive the pun, zoom out. What what I'm just I'm trying to think through all this. Like there's there's you know, and we talked about this with Zoom specifically last time. But like there's so there's so much already in the valuation that, like you said, an inline quarter plus some negative sentiment. And I guess we're looking at we we step back and look at the market as a whole, right? We had we just came off a pretty I would say vicious bear market rally last week or rally. Let's not, let's not assume last week where Monday was a big rip Tuesday. Like you said, everything sold off. And then Wednesday to Friday markets ended up up what more than 6% for the week. Right. And so I don't think, I don't, you know, I think the sense I get of broader sentiment very non-scientifically is that it's still pretty cautious and, Nobody's assuming that the market is just going to start rolling again, but I'm just kind of curious, like I, I'm trying, obviously it, it, at the end of the day, it comes down to fundamental bottoms up analysis, figure out how your names are going to do in different environments. But, and maybe this is where like the retail stocks might be useful for us as a different way to frame this. Like there's so much, you take a retail stock, you take a, Target, for example, we've talked about, um, they earned some ridiculous EPS last year. It was something, I, I think it's like $15 a share, something in that ballpark. Um, they Their margins this year, they're now guiding, they came in at like 
something percent and they're guiding to get back to 6% by the end of the year for the year rather. And so they're, you know, they were in some sense, like a 400 basis point hit on the operating margin or close to five. And they, they essentially split it uh, between like like about 20% of it being freight supply chain. Right. And then they said about 80% of it was them getting categories wrong. Which is actually like a micro version of what I'm like with the, with the, there's two things that are moving really fast. Consumer preferences as displayed by, you know, maybe Target just got it wrong, but like we can see the money is going into services. We've obviously talked about travel a lot, et cetera. So there's that one vicious swing. And then there's the market trying to anticipate all these vicious swings and then you throw in all the backdrop of the big macro stuff, the inflation, the Fed, et cetera. And I guess that's what I'm just curious how you're like, as we do go through all these whipsaws um, on like arguably three different levels, I'm uh, like, what, what are you looking at? How are you like, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe you're just ignoring it and just focusing on the side. Like, how do you think well, about I mean, first all thing that? You have limited bandwidth, right? Like, I can't. Like, right. You can't be doing a ton of tech, e-commerce, fintech, SaaS, and then just you know, <laughs> uh, strong pivot into uh, retail, right? But I mean, as far as retail was concerned, I did cover a bunch of the names. Like, I did not even say cover. Like, I put out like little blurbs. <laughs> on a few of the names reporting this week, just based on, I mean, I've traded retail pretty extensively over the years. And uh, I, I mean, I was paying attention to what was going on with them, but you had that Walmart target sequence um, two weeks ago, and that like led to this sympathetic detonation and everything, right? So then you had all these names slated to report the following week. And I mean, almost, I think except for Abercrombie and Fitch, uh, everyone had like a really good week, right? Even the ones that actually took down guidance uh, somewhat. I mean, there was a bunch that didn't. There was some some that that beat. But I mean, I think I commented on, on Ulta, which is, you know, the exact opposite. So like Ulta had dropped like, you know, 15% in that week. Uh, that Walmart and Target sold off, which was interesting in the sense that two things. One, Target called them out because they have this like uh, uh, partnership as a, an area of strength. And then two, they're historically uh, a pretty conservative guidance management team, right? So into the strength last quarter, I like it really felt like they had sandbagged their comparable sales guidance, which turned out to be the case, right? The services business that they have in terms of the salons, you know, has really taken off and you have a category shift that really favored them, right? I mean, uh, beauty has a strong correlation with, uh, you know, open up and travel and, and uh, being out and about. So, I mean, that was one where without doing much work, you know, I was like, look, if you're looking for uh, a trade set up for next week, uh, 
you know, go buy some Ulta. Then there was like Best Buy and William Sonoma, where, I mean, in Best Buy's case, you knew everybody wanted to short it uh, after what happened the previous week. And you're just like, look, Best Buy margins really need to employ. Like you're looking to short something into earnings and you want to, like you're trying to chase a, another 20% move like everybody else. Uh, you have to be thinking that they would have notable margin erosion. And as you can see, that business has kind of evolved. So like it's leveraged to, like it used to be very leveraged from an earnings standpoint to consumer electronics volatility. And that's just no longer the case. So yeah, they did, they did double uh, their sales guidance from a negative fashion, right? So like they lowered it essentially from, you know, whatever it was like minus one to, to three to essentially double that. But the earnings impact was, was minimal. And that translated into that day, you know, the stock's doing not much and then slowly working its way up. William Sonoma, which has done fantastic from a margin standpoint, right? Like continues to do well. Uh, and that was one where, I mean, it was trading down to like what, four times EBITDA on, uh, on the 2021 numbers. So you, you went into earnings I mean, the range between where, like, it was almost a 30% swing from like where if you would have bought it on a Friday to the next week. So, yeah, I mean, like you're seeing, like last week was definitely that kind of whipsaw, right? I mean, it's not like essentially just Zoom unique. A lot of names got a little bit of a relief. And, you know, you start seeing people be like, oh, retail's dead. You know, Ulta didn't get the memo. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, it's mixed, right? Like it's not so much been a macro, whatever you want to call it, uh, a recession in the sense that like consumers have shifted where they were spending versus spending less in aggregate across the board. Right. Which is what makes this. Yeah. It makes this time yeah, interesting. It, 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 it gets in the way of this prevailing uh, thesis around, you know, inflation, gas at the pump, uh, even though this is happening, right? I mean, it is a headwind, stimulus uh, lapping, whatever you want to call it, stimulus hangover. But like all these things have kind of occurred at the same time. And you are seeing category shift winners. But like, do you really want to extrapolate that too much? And this is like an exercise in how much is the stock falling, like you were saying, right? Like you're not going to be happy with these numbers uh, if these names were trading, you know, already 30, 40% higher. So when you get down to four or five times earnings or even Dick's, for example, like three times earnings or whatever, you can withstand a pretty decent guidance cut. Because everyone's been kind of just, you know, uh, front running, at least for the last two months, uh, these macro dynamics. Like it, it's no longer a secret, put it that way. Which, I think the area where, where people struggle more still is, is still in hyper growth software, right? Which is where 
like they haven't seen they haven't seen anything in the broader environment uh and out of the companies to really link to uh the stock price performance. So you have these guys who are just like the market is treating snowflake as if it's going to zero. I'm going to keep buying. And it's like, well, no, not really. (laughs) Like you have, there's like eight names, uh, Mongo, snowflake, Datadog, CrowdStrike, Zscaler, uh, Sentinel one. Like I think I've got them or anyone else I'm missing. It was over 20 times sales. Uh, Cloudflare. Yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah. know that before. Yeah. yeah, there's like that category where like everybody is a fan of what's going on with uh, their secular trends. And they just want to keep buying the names because, well, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing to write negative about them as far as what you've been used to following from a metric standpoint as far as performance and uh, execution and addressable market opportunity i mean there's definitely things you can get into that are more nuanced in terms of uh, profitability for, for a lot of them but i mean people have just kind of been riding that wave and unlike i mean unlike like you will see people tweet about like uh, like this is what's happening in the economy is not affecting uh, X, Y, and Z. You know, we still still need cybersecurity, right? More than ever. Well, that's the. I, I guess that's like the next logical thing. If you're talking about, obviously, the hypergrowth that, like you said, sort of don't fall into this. But if you're talking about names that have washed out, and so whether it's that they've already priced in the tough quarter or two ahead or whether it's um, the sentiment washout solely, like the question is then what's the next, maybe the, and that's the feeling I'm just getting thinking about this whole market the last couple of years is what's the next like thing that the market is going to decide to price in aggressively and or over extrapolate. And so I don't know if that's going to be where the opportunity is. And I think why I come back to retail is because I think it's interesting because not it seems like there are more shoes to drop in one sense or the other, but also it seems like there are some really attractive multiples, not, not your Costco's or whatever, but you, you know, there's some really attractive stocks out there too. And again, maybe that's where you have to really either a be comfortable with the fundamental analysis of pick your given stock or B just be comfortable with, I, I haven't looked at Ulta at all, but if you think they're a category leader, you think they've, they're well positioned and like maybe you just say, okay, a reasonable dip that gets it to be a fair price, so to speak, is going to be enough to make it all, um, like, I'll just, hold, I'll ride these waves and I'll add when I have to add. And if there's something, you know what I mean? Like, as these, as this whiplash keeps happening to just kind of 
pick your name. I don't know, because you're you're a little bit more of a quicker mover than I am generally. I mean, I really haven't been lately, but yeah, I, I hear your point. Look, I mean, it's definitely define your holding period, right? So uh, there's a bunch of names in retail that did really well last week that you could you could say they're benefiting from a pronounced category shift. And that's tailwind. Like let's call it like that's the equivalent of stimulus, put it that way, right? Uh, and in six months, that's going to be a headwind, right? So like be prepared for more volatility in those names, right? <laughs> Versus like the current outperform. Like, I mean, it's nice when they get dragged down with everything else, uh, you know, a Walmart target rocks the boat and you get these this opportunity to make 30 percent from from friday to the next friday right uh and that's kind of the the whipsaw gyration but like is that that makes being uh someone who wants to buy a business and value it with a compounding view and a multi-year horizon that makes it still a challenging environment for them right it's the same thing with for example the like the top 10 names in growth, right? Like they, they're they more prone to underperform now because if you're buying the top 10 names in growth, the ones without, uh, let, let's say, any competitive concerns or they haven't really developed a bear camp yet, right? Like they're just a valuation bubble deflating uh, against their operational execution. And when you look at those names, like when you're buying them uh, in this meltdown, you you really are underwriting a multi-year holding period, right? And a typical type of compounding, because yeah, they may fall have fallen sixty percent, but like they're still trading, you know, Cloudflare is still trading at twenty-five times trailing, you know, EV to sales, right? So if Cloudflare is still trading at 25 times trailing EV to sales, like you're still talking about uh, 50% CAGR, right? Minimum for the next three years to potentially achieve a, 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 a not too great IRR, right? So like maybe there'll be upside to that and that's how you will compound successfully. Well, like if like, I'd say once you get down to maybe 16, 17 times, like you can do that, right? But the historical performance in software, you know, for once these names cross, let's call it 500 million or 750 million in revenue, it's very clear that you could have paid very early on 20 times sales for a hundred million, 200 million revenue business in software, right? That, you know, today is four billion five billion six billion whatever right and there's literally i think like two names that fall into that category but once you get to the billion threshold and you're paying 20x okay it's a different equation right and it's particularly a different equation that the profitability is unclear so like look at a company like datadog you know the stock was trading like 45 or so at the end of 19 uh, and you know, trading like $90 today or whatever, it went from 300 million to a billion in revenue in, in essentially the two and a half years, right? 
like a little bit, actually just almost two years and you doubled your money. And there's the zoom example, right? They went from six, 650 million or so, uh, to a little bit over 4 billion. Okay. And also like, if you kind of do your measuring stick, you know, you're in the 50 to 60% return range from the end of 19. And in Zoom's case, it's the forward curve change and the, 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 the penetration. So like when you look at a data dog today uh, at, you know, 25 times trailing, right? You, like how confident can you be that you, you're going to be doing, you know, once you're at a billion, uh, 50, 60% annualized for the next three years and then 30% annualized for like the next five? Not too confident. I mean, like you may today from every signal that you see in the market, but like there, there's really not much to sink your teeth on historically. So you're, if you're buying these here with the fact that you're like, oh, well, I mean, it's still growing 50%, that's growing 10. Uh, you really kind of are saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold this for three years and I have really high confidence it's going to do over 50 in that time period. And if I come out on the other end of that, uh, that three years, I will have doubled my money because the forward, you know, is looking like 30%. And it hasn't changed. Now, you could, on the flip side, you can buy, you know, something more messy, uh, whether it's a DocuSign or even a Twilio or, like, or, or two, I, mean, I wouldn't say it's as messy, but, but a Zoom. And, you're not expecting them to, to do that exceptionally well, right? But like, you do think you can make 30%, okay? On it's on just like things cooling off and the valuation stabilizing. And let's just say you're a person who wants to own it for that same holding period. If they do surprise to the upside and and growth was to accelerate, let's call it from about 500 basis points, you're going to make the same 100%, right? So, like, it, you're, you're, it's actually structured better in your favor than buying the, uh, the, the, the 20 times sailing, tra uh, 20 times tra uh, sales trailing bunch, even though, like, for a lot of them, they look like, you know, they're, they're down to 14, 15, or whatever, right? Uh, uh, by the end of this year. And that's where you kind of have this anticipation that like, let's say they go up 15, 20% by the end of the year. And like, you're still owning something that like you expect to grow uh, in 2023, another 50% and uh, 15 times sales. And then like, if it managed to do that, like, okay. And if it's looking like it's 40% in 2024, right? Like then you're down to like that uh, uh, 13, 14 times sales multiple, but you've actually compounded you know, 15 to 20% in each of those two years. But what happens to you when something goes wrong, right? You're in, you end up with like a new relic, you know? Let's say something goes on in, 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 in the competitive landscape and X, Y, and Z starts growing 20, you know? And you're dealing with that, like, as far as large numbers, I mean, you know, the path from a, it's it's been very clearly established in the last several years that the path from a hundred million to a billion 
can happen way faster. Okay. But it's also looking very clear that like it's a lot harder work, you know, once you cross that threshold. Because there's a there's a different group of competitors that you're dealing with, you know, once you're once you're at that scale. And you're on everybody's radar. And that you know, that's like your your networking companies, security giants, uh, cloud infrastructure. Uh, like there's a bunch of there's a bunch of things you're dealing with once once you cross into. Well, is that uh, sort of the end point of the once upon a time tech thesis to a degree? Is that the saturation in SaaS is actually a reality once you start hitting the big boys and the major I mean, play? I, like that was kind of a theory. I think like we'll see how it's tested out, but I mean, empirically speaking, it, the evidence does support that it, like it's much harder to become a giant. I do think that there's like for for a typical retail growth investor, like in the back of their head, they have the opportunity slash success of a consumer end market company, like a Google or an Amazon or a Microsoft. I mean, people forget Microsoft really has has addressed huge TAMs from a consumer market in 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 a tech, uh, let's call it enterprise type mix, right? They're very hybridy in, the, in that sense, even though like you think of it as as just enterprise software. And I'm not saying just like in terms of office for the home. I'm just saying that like you come out of school, like everybody's kind of using uh, Microsoft Office, right? In in any workplace environment, but like it, but like it has kind of almost a consumer touch point to it. it it's so ubiquitous in that sense, and has been. So like when you look at those markets. I mean, there's been Oracle, which has been very successful, but like you see how hard that is, and it, there's it's not a very hyper growthy type thing, right? And businesses are sensitive; like they will go find a, a second supplier and they will shift. And like, I mean, I just wrote about Viva yesterday, right? And like, look at look at look at what Viva's doing. I mean, you know, uh, their entire story is essentially uh, copycatting slash slightly really improving and going after some sort of incumbents market, right? Whether it's Metadata or, or Siebel, Segadime, uh, now IMS, IQVIA, right? Uh, uh, Documentum. I mean, there's, there's these just transitions that occur. Uh, and then there's points in time where like you've seen also like recently, like some of these customers don't want them to have everything. So they will remove like, there's been a few examples where, you know, large farmers have given some of that CRM business in in, in some regions to uh, IQVIA, OCE, for example, uh, to kind of blunt the pricing power single vendor dynamic, and like that's kind of just par for the course in enterprise software, right? Like, there's always you you want to have a competitive uh, RFP process. And that's not like the way it ends up in, in consumer markets. Like you do end up with one more of a winner take all. Yeah. Winner take all, winner take most. And like the consumer is happy with that, right? Because like their experience gets better with that scenario. 
typically speaking. I mean, yeah, that's a really interesting point. The idea that consumer markets, there's a lot more, whether it's because the famed network effects or whether it's just there's more harnessed innovation. Actually, I, yeah, I'm, not, I'm trying to think of why network effects is the obvious thing, right? Everybody in the US, everybody's on an iPhone, so everybody can send each other blue messages is, is an example. But um, yeah, it's interesting. Whereas enterprise, the audience, the market is a little bit more the end user is a little bit savvier or more, they have more long-term interest in not anointing a winner whenever possible. That's interesting. It's interesting. I'm thinking about also the, this is a slight digression, but just thinking about the, some of the reporting around the VMware deal with, with Broadcom and some of the concerns about that sort of, with their market position, they don't, it's like these Switzerlands we talk about, companies that are supposed to play well with all peers, but then if a bigger company swallow, it's like on the one hand, that's a competitive advantage because you could work with all peers. On the other hand, you don't you become a less natural acquisition partner or acquisition target because there's more resistance within the market, whether that's actually expressed in governmental policy or anything else but um yeah that's a very interesting sort of self-correcting mechanism there yeah i feel like i feel like he's just been really good at exploiting these under leveraged uh sticky like there's an element to what he does it's similar to what larry ellison was doing in the 2000s just rolling the acquisitions yeah rolling up sort of I forget you've described Larry Ellison's strategy before, and I can't. It's, I mean, it was basically converting. Remind us what what was how did Larry Ellison? I don't think he bought install bases. Uh, so what was he City Software and like uh, they? I mean, them and SAP. I mean, like they would raise the ma- the maintenance uh, renewal prices. Like I think that was essentially the embedded in the assumption, and they expected these things even if they died, to die really slow. And and that's proven pretty true. You still have, I mean, it's very it's very rare to find a software company that really completely disappears. I mean, MicroStrategy is the poster child for that, right? I mean, nobody had heard anything really. I mean, like they've kind of been, for 20 years, kind of just hanging around. <laughs> Well, and it's just funny, the the obvious thing that the comparison is valiant back in the day, now Bausch Health, uh, trying to apply this model. And I don't know if Michael Pearson ever explicitly put it that way, but essentially apply, applying that model to pharmaceuticals, which a bit more problematic for different reasons, different sort of end market and the development processes are a lot more different. But uh that's when you describe the Ellison model and the Hawk Tan model at Avago Broadcom. Um, that's the echo I'm hearing as well. Yeah, no, that's a good way of looking at it. So let's 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 step back and maybe draw towards sort of an ending point here. When we're so we're we're 
towards the end of earnings season, we've got, you mentioned before, I think before we started, big week of earnings coming up in a lot of these SaaS names going from Salesforce to MongoDB to our old favorite PagerDuty. Um, we're pretty close to the end of earnings season. It seems like, of course, there's going to be questions as far as what's happening on the macro level. The Fed seems on a pretty steady hiking rate, at least for now. Um, like where, maybe let's just sort of draw out, like what, where is your attention now? Where do you think there's the most interesting things to watch either in terms of opportunity sets or in terms of understanding what's going on in the market right now? Well, why don't you tell me what you're saying? Let's flip it around. Okay. I, I, so I think from my perspective, the framework I'm trying to look through all of this is I still, I don't think, I think there's still a tension and I'm, I'm judging this on like some sort of second or third level that may not be the right level. I think there's still the so-called pain hasn't been really felt yet all the way, except arguably maybe crypto and even there it's still Bitcoin still hanging around and so on. Um, where I think the, and not, I mean, I'm sounding almost Catholic about it. Not that there necessarily needs to be pain, but I just think we still have economic impacts that haven't really washed through yet that I think the market has priced in some of it, but I think there's probably still more to price in whether it, that we just don't know yet as far as who, who handles margin pressure better, who manages to continue to grow, who, uh, as, I mean, we've seen all the reports of <sighs> hiring freezes, even layoffs in some places. We've seen, like, I think a lot of those effects aren't washing through yet. And yeah, so that, like, look, so uh, that's a very interesting point because, like, if you look at our Slack, that's essentially the thinking, right? I mean, we're not going to call out individual names, but there's a bunch of people who've gotten, let's say more bearish, right? As the news flow gets bearish, right? Fast went under, uh, Bolt is layoffs. Uh, you know, the Bolt guy was doing his whole, uh, hey, uh, I figured out how to give loans to my employees, <laughs> to my options, right? And I don't know why anybody else has been doing it, right? And there was a, there was a couple of VCs. Uh, Jeff from, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Jeff Richards, maybe he's, I think it's at General Atlantic. I'm not sure which which venture firm it is, but like he criticized them. He was like, "Look, I lived this in the '90s. <laughs> it's, you'll end up with a bunch of employees who uh, are, are underwater." AGV Capital, yeah. Okay, yeah, uh, and that was like a, a just a few months ago, right? Like maybe three months ago or four months ago. So like you can see how much things have swung where like now like every news organization is like, you know, bolt employees in trouble, right? Uh, with these uh, uh, with these loans and because of what's happening. Like if you take the typical public fintech that lost 90% of its value or 85%, you know, there was a, a protocol piece this week on fintech bubble and, and, and some of the dynamics. 
I mean, I called fintech even more so than EV. You know, I, I think it was in September, October, where I did a write up, and I was just like, "What are the, what are the most bubbly spaces?" And that to me was the worst, just because of like the broad base of overfunded companies kind of screwing up the economics. Like you could say EV was bad, but I didn't think the 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 capital was leading to uh, uh, industry problems. Put it that way, right? Like if you're sitting here funding an EV startup and it trades on paper to 100 billion or whatever temporarily, like you know they still have to build their factories, do whatever, and like we're still what's the word undersupplied, I guess. Uh, and potential successful EV companies, competitors for the future. Uh, FinTech, you can't look at it that way, right? <laughs> like there's, a, it's a narrow kind of definition between what you're competing with in legacy, because a lot of it has morphed, right? And how many potential options there are in FinTech that the lines are really blurred and that's crypto excluded, right? So when you start giving so much capital to so many companies in that space, they're all kind of doing the same thing in a destructive manner, right? Like they're not, they're not investing in, let's say, a manufacturing facility. They are chasing, you know, customers uh, to have, uh, you know, a one-click checkout, right? And that's where you see these things where it's like, oh, how did you burn $100,000, $100 million, you know, with 600K in revenue? Right, like in in terms of the fast example, or you get a sense like I mean now you're seeing people talking shit about like the Substack, right? I don't know, like there was a lot of press around Substack only having uh, nine million in revenue, and trying to raise at a billion valuation, and then you get the whole like yeah, this is just uh, you know re the recycling of blogger. There's not much new you can do here. Uh, the infatuation with the creator economy, like Cameo was kind of an early one that like, you know, hit a wall. Uh, but you're not seeing it spread more into like unbundling and bundling, right? And whether or not you really end up with anything new or special or whether everyone has to go the route of the information, for example. Like the, to me right now today, like the information does scoops TechCrunch, right? As in their mod, meaning they scoop TechCrunch or their model is TechCrunch with scoops? Well, I'm saying in the sense that like what I used to get from TechCrunch on tech and they used now to get from the information. Or everybody else, I get from the information. Yeah. So like, and then there's some other, you know, examples where like the journalism has kind of gone in that direction. And, but clearly they have like, you know, a bunch of well-connected people together under one roof. Uh, which is much harder to do than running your own, you know, blog uh, subscription service. And you're having people start focusing on that, right? Like, it's like, oh, this is so obvious. Why were we so excited about this before? And go ahead. No, 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 I'm, I'm just, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, this obviously is, I, my, my ears are perking up, that's all, having 
thought about this a little bit. It's your, your area of expertise. It's at least a little bit closer, yeah. I uh, and the, yeah, the, the with the Substack thing. Um, yeah, I mean, then with the Twitter takeover, and like I think you know, Compound and I had a chat about like whether or not like Twitter just ends up doing all this stuff internally. I mean, there was an argument that what like why can't they do single sign-on or all like like if you're subscribing to news services like Times, the Journal, the Post, etc. Uh, but that ultimately you know, Twitter ends up being kind of a unified platform for this. And like, wh where is really the standalone guy clubhouse, right? Yeah. Patreon. I mean, there's just like a couple basic simple things, it's, right? Like some yeah, payment it's... processing, some ability to send money to people creating content, uh, the ability to sub sub subscribe to them, like some, some, some way for them to publish in a long form fashion, you know, that kind of links back. And then there's just a struggle around that, right. In terms of acquiring, customers and making shit uh happen if you're running a subscription i mean it's not easy right like i have paid uh, subscriber you know for this ghost thing i mean I, I like i can't imagine how how much work goes into you know getting thousands and thousands i think there's a lot of people who are in the right spot at the right time i think if you want to run like a pure advisory business but like if you're going to run a pure advisory business from a market standpoint like you're going to charge a lot more money, right? Which kind of eliminates that, like, let's call it low touch uh, potential availability to some people who just want to learn or get some insight, but like you're not going to tell them buy this, buy these options or, you know, put this much of your money in this or short this stock aggressively, right? So like, even when you think about it from, from that standpoint, I think, uh, you know, what that category of what is like investment analysis slash advice versus what is, let's just say, a degree of blogging. Yeah. And like, and that's where Twitter, for example, you could almost see them the being the Roku of all of this, sort of the platform to connect to all the different services from the more boutique to the New York Times of the world. Like it's, it does, I mean, it becomes something between a, between that and a, a Yahoo from back in the 90s, like the, the internet's homepage. That's sort of, I don't think that's, I've heard nothing that that is Mr. Musk's uh, vision, but that's, yeah, that's interesting. Is it, it's uh, trying to think of how we, so when we're like, I think, so to go back to like where, since you flipped it back on me and I started to answer, I, I think there's, I do think there's still some shake up. Like, I think there's some shake out and I think there's still some sort of, you know, it's easy for me to say, I mean, what do I, I, I don't really know about. Well, you have layoffs. You're going to see people like you're going to, you know, you will, you'll need less seats for certain things uh, in terms of software inside of these businesses. You know, if you have less sales guys, you're going to need less, you know, Zoom info licenses, uh, less CRM, uh, you know, whatever tools they're using, right? Like uh, it, if you have fired 100 employees, it's no longer, it's 100 people that you don't have to pay for Zoom phone or Microsoft Teams, right? 
if they're engineers, you know, maybe Atlassian, et cetera, Jira. Like there's a long list of these things. And like you said, it's a laggard, right? I mean, Viva's giving you guidance, like there's attrition in the pharma rep space. And like it's happening now, but they're essentially telling you they're going to lose 10% of their seats, right? And you'll see that, you know, by year end this year and early next year. So that's like the well-planned ahead. Uh, like they've gotten the visibility and they know where those, you know, subscriptions are being canceled. Right. So you can look at a lot of these subscription businesses and assume, particularly if they're on annual, that like you will be, you will be looking at declining bookings and billings for some of them on a seat basis uh, six to nine months out. Right. And that goes back to like the, what we've had going on in the Slack where like you have people who are like, you know, this hasn't started yet. Right. But your stock price fell 85% before it. <laughs> right. Know? So you, this is the, the mind fuck of, of the market when you're dealing with this type of stuff, type of stuff. And this is kind of where we're at in this window here, where like my argument was, Go find names that have warned once or twice so you don't feel like you don't wake up and like you feel like you got smacked in the head, right? With the complete shocker of an earnings. Okay. Uh, and buy them, right? On what will probably be earnings where people are just like relieved somewhat. Okay. And like, and typically with valuation support, but you're, you're definitely going to be trying to balance that against the unknowns, which is, you know, what will the headwinds look like uh, in 2023? Which I, I do think we will enter a phase, like you're saying, in maybe six months. And that really depends on how much these stocks do rally, where these two things intersect again, right? But as of like right now, one, like you're way out in front of this potential news, okay? So like there's been discounting. A good example of this is NVIDIA, okay? NVIDIA reported last week. Mm -hmm. uh, the stock traded down 10% after hours on, you know, they missed the consensus revenue guidance uh, and they attributed it to, like they took a 500 million uh, impact with Russia and Shanghai shut down, right? You back that out, like, you know, pretty much in line. So the stock has gone from 350 in its pure metaverse euphoria point to like it had traded as low as 148, 149 after hours that day. Right. And you have people who are like crypto uh, bust is coming. Uh, the worst pain isn't over. There was a Barron's piece over the weekend. Uh that was just like, you know, is, is NVIDIA past its problems? It's like, no, I think that they're going to warn several times. And you're like, all right. Uh, I mean, this is obviously something I know very well since I spent a lot of time on it in 2018. And you're like, there's a lot priced in here, right? But like people are discounting this ETH 2.0 and the business is very different than it was then. Data center and professional visualization are you know, four times the size. Uh, yeah, gaming has gotten bigger, 
but notebook is a much bigger percentage of the mix than it used to be. Uh, there's a lot of things that have changed. They're doing some more with software. Uh, they have these aspirations in auto. They obviously bought Mellanox, you know, they have their own networking. They're going to be launching their own ARM CPU, right? So you kind of have to have, like if you're shorting an NVIDIA, right? And you're like, well, you know, I think gaming is going to be slower. And I can see evidence of that because retail prices of graphics cards have come down notably to MSRP or in some places a little bit lower. Uh, and that's going to lead to this like 2018 type of implosion. It's like, well, look, I mean, it fell 50% from its high in 2018. And that occurred literally almost it, it, at the same time that the channel blew up, right? Like it went in there, like, you know, like a drunken uh, sailor ignoring everything, right? Like that was part of what made that trade ironically so good by the end of it was that nobody wanted to discount it. It was a total shocker, really, even though there was evidence pointing in that direction. Now there's a lot of people discounting it, right? So looking at NVIDIA, a 10% move, by the way, after hours for that is huge on that quarter, right? Like it dropped 17% after hours on like a shocking cut, <laughs> you know, uh, in, uh, in, in its November 2018 report, right? So this like was like, I mean, this is just like a sneeze and, it and it's already been down significantly. Then the stock had been doing very well. So like, that's where you get into this whole, how do you balance these things out? Well, and the, the other thing I just wanted to start to go back to the retail for a second too, is I think, like, I don't want to sound like I'm a permit bearer or anything like that. I think the consumer spending still seems really healthy as it were. I think we're seeing that in all, most of the retail reports and, I think you hear that from the payments companies and so on. And so like, it's just one of these things where it gets easy to, you know, the old hedgehog versus the Fox metaphor. It's very easy to be a hedgehog right now and to say, we're going into one direction or the other, whether it's buy the dip because we're just going to grow again, or whether it's this is the bear market and, you know, watch out. And I think that's what's, uh, makes this climate really interesting is that it's it's not that easy i think to go in any of those directions yeah i agree i mean like you have perfect like farfetch last week traded at six right you know by the end of the week it was printing 10 at some point right and like it's very hard to connect the dots with earnings like once you once you get to those types of swings with these names like i see marketo's reporting this week you know, that traded as low as, as five or six, you know, in the last 10 days. And it's now what, 11, right? So there's examples of that, like that you, you, you have to be more attuned to. Where you're just like, okay, I mean, uh, there's wild swings going on here. So you're, you're right. I don't think we've settled down. Uh, I do think the people who are like, hey, you know, there's, there's, slowing growth and more bad news coming. Uh, but then again, where we were at, you know, Snapchat morning, right, was like maximum discounting this. Like it's kind of stunning to see what the prices did this week 
I mean, look at Roku. I mean, that thing fell to what, 74? Finished the week at 97? Yep, that's about 75 is the what, 52 week low versus 97 at the end of the 96 and a half. I, mean, I don't think we even got to talk about it, but like the Snapchat warning was like, you know, I mean, I, you're obviously going to be biased seeing as I was long uh, Zoom into its print and then like the Snapchat stuff happened. And, you know, you're like, God damn it. Yeah, Evan Spiegel, what is he doing? But, like they have, they have consistently been over optimistic for the last year, right? So like you had a setup going into them reporting, where you're just like, with them warning, not reporting, where you're just like, all right, like we thought that their earnings, uh, you know, four weeks ago was an overly optimistic guidance, right? So. Like how much of this is everybody else and the brand? Like you saw Trade Desk last week wanted to like reiterate their guidance just to basically be like, hey, we're not Snapchat. <laughs> not having a, we don't see anything that we need to, that Snapchat has seen in the last four weeks type of dynamic is like they, they, they picked up on their stock price action being sympathetic to the nation. And I mean, that's kind of what happens at a bottom of a market, right? Like, that kind of whipsaw, like that max sphere type of thing. And just be like, okay, I've had enough. Like we've gone through enough now in terms of to digest how to value a Roku, right? Uh, I mean, the journey from 200 to 100, you know, is not the same thing as the journey that went on from 450 to 200. So those sensible people in it, right, at these levels uh, with a very different thesis, I mean, in many cases, like bears, right? Like someone like me who was really bearish on it. But like, does it really stand out as much from bearishness now when like something that you were just bullish on, like Netflix, you know, they've gone through almost the same type of, uh, same type of decline. <laughs> you know, you had these kind of wholesale type of re-raids that like make you less sensitive to the news flow. And I think last week kind of, I'd say, you know, summed it up. Particularly with like, I mean, Snapchat, like, you know, they gave, they went from basically being dead. Okay. in end of 18, beginning of 19. And everybody making jokes about them and I'm no longer using it. Celebrities, influencers to this, you know, their uh, baby filter, whatever, like explosion, rebirth which initially started out as like a bit of a joke. And then like their metrics all started going in the right way for a longer time period. Uh, and then from there, you know, to what do you want to call it? Uh, COVID to like, we're going to grow 50% for years to come, right? In January, February of 2021, February of 21, I think it's like when they gave that guidance. Uh to like five months later, uh, you know, IDFA is happening, but we're, it's not going to affect our, uh, the guidance we've given you to like two months later. Oh my God, it, it, it hit us more than we expected. Right. To another warning later to then giving a guidance recently saying, you know, we're, we're comfortable despite what's going on that we'll grow at this rate. And then four weeks later to say, Oh, we got this wrong. 
Like there's been a lot of that with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yet the market. Yeah. And that's, again, that's really the, where the center. Yeah, so it's really piece. logical when that, when, 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 what happened. And by the way, it still had the highest valuation, right? So like you, it wasn't hard to make the case that Snapchat should be trading below 20, you know, $17 seemed like much more sensible $15. So you had that argument and they fulfilled it. Right. And it, it, it was kind of the, the last man standing on, and, and from a multiple standpoint in that, in that space, I was getting the benefit and like, you know, we, you come up with reasons to explain it, but once that transpired, and it started dragging down stocks that had already come down to way more sensible valuation. And when I say drag them down, like like knocking them down 20% in a day, right? Like that was a pretty good uh, that was a pretty good sign of a floor. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say I did end up. I had a couple buys fill that day, and then I did actually put a small position in for the Twitter merger arb, and then I sold some bigger names at the end of the week a little bit to balance out. So for what it's worth, um, yeah, but it's uh, it's definitely the ones you least suspect. There's no denying it's been great environment for a trader, right? Like if you were, if you're sitting there and you're swinging around uh, week to week, there's been nothing but action. I do think that uh, for like the typical investor, it's still challenging. Like there's a bunch of names reporting this week that like uh, in software, for example, and you're just like, all right, these things are still expensive, right? And these things still haven't had any sort of like, there has not been a chink in the armor yet. So <clears throat> I want nothing to do with them, put it that way, right? Or like I'm, if I'm looking to fill a long short book, I'd rather be short still some of this uh, relative to my longs. And then you've got some stuff in there like you, RH is reporting this week. That should be interesting, right? I, like that seems to be set up for a bounce. Yeah, that's where the that was the last time we talked about retail at length. It was from his from that prescient earnings call. So, all right. Well, let's let's leave it there. Um, lots lots to keep watching, and yeah, it's a it's never it's never dull, never dull as we always say, and uh, it's really yeah, lots of interesting stuff here to keep track of. As we go into, yeah, maybe in like the summer, usually slower, but may not, either may not, well, who knows? I'm not going to make a prediction, but it should be interesting as we hit that season. Um, All right. Good stuff, Akram. All right. Thank you for listening to The Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful. 
as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Short Man Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel. Thank you for listening and see you next week.